With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. For one more beer for me. Exile means quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, Exile Brewing, E-X-I-L-E. For me, E-X-I-L-E, let's drink football. Enjoy your HN Podcast. I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. We are uh, one week removed from the NFL draft. Poor Iowa Hawkeyes heard their name called two in the first round, Steve. And now, this is according to the NFL's website where they have draft history by college program. And I could find now, was it, I think, two instances where Iowa, uh, or, or three instances rather. Three instances where Iowa has had more than one player selected in the first round. This year, 1997 and 1986. Those are the only three times. And uh, we'll, we'll talk maybe a little sneak peek to 2020 here in a second. But what were your general thoughts? TJ Hawkinson to your Detroit Lions. Noah Fant uh, going to the um, Denver Broncos at 20. Let's start with the first round. Your thoughts on those two picks. Well, let's start with uh, with Hawkinson, obviously, because we'll start from the top. Plus, it's a team that I know very well, uh, obviously. And there's been a ton of speculation about Hawkinson to Detroit. And I, I didn't think it was going to happen. And, and a couple of reasons why I didn't think it was going to happen is, A, is he ran a good but not blazing 40 time at the Combine. And I'm not even comparing him to Noah Fant. That's, you know, he's on another stratosphere running that time as a tight end. But, I mean, mm. he ran slower than George Kittle. So 4-7 for a tight end is pretty good. But, you know, when we're talking the number eight overall pick in the draft, I mean, I got to see Vernon Davis, Kellen Winslow Jr. kind of speed. Um, so that was the first issue. The other reason why I didn't think Detroit would pick him is because uh, they're this is they're only the second team in the last decade, or they're the only team in the last decade that's picked a tight end in the top ten. They've done it now twice, and the previous one, Eric Ebron, was an unmitigated disaster. Um, a guy known for uh, not being able to catch the football, not going all out, not being a willing blocker, really gave up on the franchise. They gave up on him. City completely turned on him. And so the Lions elected not to give him a uh, the fourth year in the rookie deal, and uh, and he went to Indianapolis last year and caught ten touchdown passes, and that really has a lot of the fan base burnt 
And I, I didn't think they would bring another tight end in here that high with that, with the fan base ready to pounce. And then I'm, you know, they want to play a lot of two tight end sets. And so I wasn't sure how the fit was going to work, but that third one, I got more to thinking because they already have an inline blocker tight end dual threat from the, the Steelers, Jesse James, they signed in free agency. But the more I got to thinking about it, actually, that analysis on my part was kind of dumb because if Detroit wants to be a more versatile offense, then you really don't want to have a package where you know the tight end is a flex out, so you know it's a passing down. You'd actually like to have two guys that are kind of dual t- tight ends, both that can both receive and inline block, because then there's not a tendency for the defense to pounce on. So a safe pick, Daniel Jeremiah said that uh, NFL Network, that he was his favorite pick in the draft. Uh, Todd McShay at ESPN said that uh, he was the safest pick in the entire first round. Me as a Lions fan, I'm a little concerned with the Mississippi State tape and the Outback Bowl because I think he struggled to hold the edge in the run game against that defensive front loaded with pros. But, um, uh, you know, I think the odds of him not being a very good NFL player are very low barring injury. However, if you're going to pick him at number eight, you're not expecting a very good NFL player. You're you're expecting a perennial pro bowler, frankly, particularly at a position like that. So we'll see, John. And then Fant going at uh, number 20 to the Broncos, which was a destination that a number of people felt was very possible for him. Give Scott Docterman credit uh, of The Athletic. He picked uh, – he called uh, Hawkinson to the Lions at eight and also predicted the Broncos would take Fant in the first round. Uh, and then he and then he said that the Bears would take uh, David Montgomery for Iowa State. So, Scotty had himself some good picks there. Um, wow. What, what do you think of – yeah, well, we'll talk about your prognostications as well, but what do you think of Fant – at 20 to green to uh, the Broncos. I really like Noah Fant. I think he's got, he absolutely, I think has a higher ceiling in the NFL than TJ Hawkinson, but I think his floor is a lot lower too. And, and I see a lot of Eric Ebron and Nate and Noah Fant um, and, and, and a different level of speed and, and, and deep at, you know, athleticism, not necessarily a willing blocker, um, you know, a guy that will let you know that he's not getting the ball enough. You have a new head coach there in Vic Fangio comes out of the, uh, the Harbaugh tree. So, um, that's, you know, using a tight end is a premium position, uh, in that, in that program. So that's a good thing. He's also an old school guy though, you know, so Vic is not going to tolerate spouting off, uh, particularly from a tight end. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you've got a you've got a veteran uh, presence there at quarterback uh, in Joe Flacco and a guy who has shown that he likes to use his tight ends. Uh, so I, I think Noah Fant, uh, I, I think he landed in a very good destination. I do. Provided he comes in to work, period. Right. Yeah, I, I think that that last point is a good point. What do you think of uh, Amani Hooker? to Tennessee, a rising Tennessee program. You know, I was surprised he went lower, as low as he did. Now, and, you know, you never know uh, with, with the, anymore with this, John. I mean, 66 of the players on NFL rosters last year 
were picked in the third day of the draft or were undrafted free agents, 66%. Only 13% of the players on NFL rosters last year were first-round draft picks. Mm. So this is such a crapshoot. You know, I really thought Amani Hooker's versatility, so many teams play a per, almost a permanent nickel defense nowadays. My Lions are one of them. Um, the Patriots are one of them. Uh, I, I thought that when he ran that good 40 time at the combine with his production in college, with this being a recent run at that position. So, you, you know, there's a precedent uh, at his school for that, for that, for that position group. I really thought he would go on the second day. And in the end, you know, when you have a guy who even in an era of, of sub packages, when you have a guy that doesn't really fit one spot and has flexibility, I guess it's just a little bit like selling a house with a pool, all right? That you either sell that house in a week or you're sitting on it for four months. Because you either find someone who's like absolutely looking for a house with a pool or they're like, I really don't want to take on another part-time job when I get home. You know what I'm saying? So, and I think that's just kind of what it came down to with with, with Imani Hooker. I thought he was going to go earlier. I did. And then Iowa's fourth and final draft pick of the 2019 NFL draft, Anthony Nelson, fourth round to Tampa Bay. Um, I, I think he's the kind of guy that never makes a Pro Bowl. I could see him playing in the league eight to ten years. Um, I could see him being a guy with his length, with his reach, particularly in the 4-3 defense like the, the Buccaneers want to play. And their, their first round pick was a Delvin White, who was one of my elite players in the draft, the middle linebacker, a true Mike. I mean, Anthony Nelson, to me, is a guy who plays your strong side defensive end. He's kind of in your anchor spot. I mean, his job with his reach uh, and his and his body frame and power, not a lot of explosiveness, but um, a lot of nice handwork technique. He's got the, the new term du jour. The scouts love violent hands. You hear that all the time on the scouting shows. He's got all of that. So I think he's a guy that is the other guy, the other end for a long time in the NFL uh, his job is to be on the strong side, hold the anchor, um, you know, uh, hold the edge in the running game uh, and, and sort of free up guys with more athleticism to freelance a little more and get after the quarterback. I think that's going to be his role in the NFL. You have some notes, um, NFL draft notes that you put together. Thirty um, percent of the early entrance went undrafted, which means 70% of the early entrants went, went drafted. Which of those numbers is more surprising to you? I know we're talking about the same number, but I'm just presenting it both ways because to me, when you say 30% went undrafted, it's like, whoa, but then I think 70% were drafted. I don't know. Part of me feels that that's, that 70% number seems high. Yeah, well, two years ago, I think it was, it was two or three years ago, we had 50% went undrafted. Uh, and but the trend has generally been on a, in a given year, a third will go undrafted. So to me, and you know, and I say this in the political world all the time, it's not so much the the size of the pie, or it's not so much the size of the slice of the pie. It's the size of the pie. All right. So if we're meaning that if if it's if it, it's not so much what the percentage of guys who go undrafted. It is unless it's like 50%. That's an outrageous number. But if we're talking it's annually about a third, then it really comes down to out of how many prospects. 
You know what I'm saying? So like mm-hmm. one third out of 60 prospects isn't that many guys. But one right. third out of 150 prospects, you know, it, it, it's the old Estes Cafavre line. A million here and a million there. And sooner or later, you're talking about real money. You know, and so when you've got 150 some odd prospects coming out a year and a third of them are going undrafted and that's the end of their college eligibility. They can't go back. They can't go back on um, on a grant and aid. I mean, unless the school wants to give them an academic scholarship, but they can't go back on a grant and aid and finish their degrees. You know, um, that can be a lot of guys. And if you look at the list of players that went undrafted this year, I mean, there's a. There's a ton of guys that were household names in college football. I think I tweeted that list out earlier that that went undrafted. So it really comes down to what's the amount of guys we're talking about as opposed to what's the percentage of the guys. And then that 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 gets us into the whole debate about why don't you do for football what you're doing with the draft rules for basketball. And the the and even though I am conceptually for it, because, you know, in general, as a capitalist, I think it's a terrible idea to pay the players. Making them employees isn't a good offer to them because everything becomes taxable income, not to mention Title IX. I, I know we have to reset this every time the topic comes up. So to compensate for this, that's why I tend to be pro-player movement and freedom it, it, unless we get extreme. Like I would never be in favor of you can transfer however many times you want, whenever you want. I mean, I've got non-competes. You've got non-competes. Coaches have you know, buyout clauses, things of that nature. There has to be some consideration, you know. Um, but um, the problem with bringing guys back in football is you've already had two signing days. You know, so those scholarships for the next academic year, you know, most most of your Power 5 teams go into spring practice a few scholarships over the limit, mm-hmm. you know, anticipating – you know, which fits your seniors they're not going to invite back after they evaluate them in spring ball. You know, guys are going to transfer. So so conceptually, I, I mean, I'm all for bringing guys back. We don't take in proper benefits. You know, the agent didn't buy him a car or help mommy up with an apartment or anything of that nature. You know, so if all we're talking about is the cost of doing business, training, uh, you know, transportation, it's PR, et cetera. I'm all for conceptually bringing them back if if they have eligibility. I just don't know where you'd fit all those guys given what the Power Five scholarship situation is that time of year. I think that's a really really good point. You you announce for you announce for the draft. You go through the combine, etc. And signing day. I mean, it's just it, it's. Signing day happens after you make that uh, point of no return, at least the point of no return announcement we have. I don't know that it's feasible either. I think it sounds great, and I just don't know that it's feasible. It's going to be real interesting to see how things go this year in college basketball too, even though it's it's not quite as, um, you know, the signing day for college basketball is still in November, so there's time. It's just going to be fascinating to see. It will also be interesting to see if – any players get caught up in, uh, hey, we, we, you took improper benefits. Uh, we find that out in December after they've played a month and a half. Well, hey, right. We find out. right. I mean, that, that's, that's going to happen. We know that's going to happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that's adjudicated. So, um, I mean, one option, one option could be is you put on an, an all-star game for underclassmen like you do the Senior Bowl. You put on an all-star game for underclassmen that have declared – NFL scouts and teams run that too, like they do the Senior Bowl. 
Um, and if you're not invited to that, and it's run around the same time as the Senior Bowl, which is in late January. So if you're not invited to that, if at, so your deadline is, you know, January 31st. If you're not invited to that and you want to come back to school, you can. Because at least that gives you the second signing day where your school or another Power 5 school, you know, can, can make a roster spot for you. But that's just, you know, there's a lot more roster play involved in football than basketball, obviously, when you're talking about 85 compared to 13. So in, in that scenario, which, again, it sounds like a great idea. But the first thing I'm thinking about is, you know, that that NFL combine warrior. You're basically taking that guy out of the realm who people really haven't paid much attention to, but somehow gets a sneak into the comp. Then again, I guess if you're getting an invite to the combine, you're not sneaking up on anybody. No. And the senior so, bowl is much more the senior it, bowl is is much more important. Take it from me as a junior draft, Nick. Now, I didn't nail those three picks like Scott Dockerman did, dude. That's nails, okay? That's pretty good. But, That's pretty good. But, but I, I put out – I've been doing – you. I've done this every year, like in my own football preview. As long oh, as yeah. This year, I gave 100 – this year, I, my, I, my big board I put out this year was players I rated with a, with, a, with, a, with a grade of round one through three draft picks. So there's 102 picks in the first three rounds. So that was my big board, 102 players. Of those 102 players, 71% were picked in the first three rounds. Every year in my college football preview, I do my first mock draft, and I put it together in July. You know, this year I got four, this year 14 of the 32 guys I had picked to go in the first round did. So I'm, I know at least a little bit about this. And I'm just, I just want our audience to know the Combine's a great made-for-TV event. It's not that it's not important. But the most important thing that happens at the Combine is what we don't see. And that's the agility drills, the, sh- the three-cone, the short shuttle, the stuff they don't show us, okay, and the interviews that take place off camera. Um, you know, if, if the Combine was the most important thing, DK Metcalf, with the best wide receiver workout since Calvin Johnson would have been the number one uh, receiver taken. He went in the third round. So I, 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 the Senior Bowl is the most important thing, in, in, in my view, other than your own season tape. And it's because that's the first time that you get coached by NFL coaches and go against the other top prospects in an NFL-style practice for a week. More draft stock rises and falls Senior Bowl week than at any other time. So if you did an event like that in late January that mirrored that, and hell, even do it in the same location, Mobile, put them all there. And you do two games, one games for the seniors and one games for the underclassmen. And, you know, you've got – you're going to know because the, the scouts all leave. They don't, they don't stay for the game. They leave after the final practice on Thursday. So you're going to have a great idea right then and there, you know, where you're, where you're truly at. And then, and then if you wanted to put on that event and, um, and, and then that was your deadline of whether or not to get in, Maybe that would work, but then you still run into the problem. What are we seeing the first two years of this early signing period? 75, 80% of the kids are signing. So again, how mm-hmm. many scholarships would even be available in February? If, you know, if you've got four or five guys in your team that want to come back, do you have that many scholarships left on your team? Because you can't bank them on the possibility they could return. You've got to have, you got to have players, you know? So I don't know how it would work given the timetable of the NFL offseason compared to college football. 
I got to ask you this. Um, how did Jelani Tavi do at the Senior Bowl? Well, Jelani Tavi did not get invited to the Senior Bowl. He had a shoulder injury his senior year after averaging over 100 tackles a season his first three years. So, so he must have really then turned heads at the he must have really then turned heads at the scouting combine. What were his numbers like there? <laughs> I don't remember watching him even run at the scouting. That's combine. because he wasn't. That's because he wasn't there either. He wasn't one of the and that was there. the Detroit Lions pick of the second round. I'm sorry, I, I had to do this. This has nothing to do with the Hawkeyes or the Big Ten. Yeah, I know. Or They're anything. To me. I get it. I, I get it. I just saw you losing your poop I was on pissed. Friday yeah. when the Lions took Jelani Tavi. And I've been reading about it, and I don't know what the heck they did. But anyhow, I'm Here's sorry. Here's the thing, though. I, I, I thought they killed it on day three. I mean, I, I, thought, I, I thought Amani Arorie from Penn State was the best pick of the entire fifth round. So I had him rated as a second rounder. So, you know. It, it, the way I looked at my Lions draft, starting with T.J. Hawkinson, if they had made, if they had picked all the same players, but Alani, but but Jelani Tav, whatever the guy's name is, was picked was picked in the fifth round, and Amani Arorie, who some people thought a month ago was going to be a late first round pick, if they picked him in the second round, you know what I'm saying? If it was all the same players, but we just changed the order, how right. would I feel about it a lot differently? Know what I'm saying? Yeah, that no, that's interesting. I, I, I'm a big Jelani Tavi fan now. I, I hope the guy kicks butt. <laughs> you, you know how this is going to work, right? You know, know, you know he's going to be like a Pro Bowler. And I've already been on on freezing cold takes lit up on that on that Twitter account a couple times already. You know, you know they're going to freaking pull out that dude's going to be good, and they're going to pull out all of my tweets and bury me with those. You know that's going to happen. It always happens that way. Yeah, that's all right though. You would take that. You would take that. Um, the SEC was 64 in the Big Ten with 40. Easily had more players drafted than all the other Power Five conferences and Notre Dame combined with 92. Yeah. I mean, that's what we saw play out last college football season, right? They were clearly better than everybody else. And you saw that play out in the draft. You know, one of the reasons why I love the draft process, and it's not just there's, – there's two things I love about it. One, it's the marriage of the college and – pro football my two favorite sports and you know it's it kind of gets me through the first half of the off season before the magazines come out in june but the other thing i love about it too is it's the revealer like all of our off season all of our in-season excuses and tropes well that guy sucks he's always double teamed or that guy can't, you know what i'm saying that coach can't develop talent i mean mm -hmm. all of our tropes get exposed in the draft process because NFL teams aren't always accurate, but they're merciless, man. They just don't freaking care. They're, all their jobs are on the line. So there are no sacred cows. Every, and so all of our in-season tropes get exposed and skewered during the NFL draft process. And, and you and I have always loved a good reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Let's just step up and uh, stand in front of the judge. Um, Iowa, four players drafted. That's as many as LSU and USC. You wrote more than Arkansas, South Carolina, Florida State, Michigan State, Texas, Baylor, UCLA. Schools perennially ranked ahead of the Hawkeyes in the recruiting rankings. It was a solid draft. Um, you know, I, I saw the uh, a writer for The Athletic, and I don't know who he is. And I'm not going to sit here. If it's Dane Brugler, 
that, he's incredible. Okay. Well, you just – thank you. You have a lot more street cred than I do. He put forth his 2020 first mock draft for fun. Number four, he has A.J. Epinesa, and number seven, he has Tristan Wirfs. I was never had two top ten picks in the same draft. And you also have a Lyric Jackson that's probably sniffing a, you know, a first, second round uh, opportunity as well. Now, there's going to be those people. I mean, Chris Hassel took a lot of heat on last Thursday because apparently he lost his mind over the fact, once again, that Iowa had two tight ends that went in the eighth pick and the 20th pick, and they still, you know, pissed away an opportunity. I guess I just don't look at things like that. You know, they, they, they won nine games. And, yeah, they could have won two more. That should have been a double-digit win season. But it wasn't. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting older and I don't, I don't get wrapped up in stuff like that. Sometimes the other team wins and other teams makes plays and you don't. And I don't know. That's how it goes. But Iowa produces solid talent. Iowa produces NFL talent above – when you look at the gap between the recruiting rankings and where they rank in the NFL talent, and you got to weigh the factor in there somewhere that you're talking about one of the lowest population states that doesn't have access to an ocean, they're doing something good there. Well, I don't feel like this is my debate to wade into. Okay. And, you know, like I'm, I'm, that I'm never I'm, stopped I'm, you from wading into it. <laughs> I'm like I'm perplexed as a Michigan fan why Barrett Salee at CBS Sports seems more angry about Jim Harbaugh's inability to beat Ohio State than I am. You know, mm. like that shouldn't be the case, you know? Um so and, and it's like we said on our Bigger Ten podcast last week. I, I would think Penn State fans would be more concerned about James Franklin's record without Joe Moorhead as his OC than you and right. I. I mean, I don't give two craps or a stroke if they're five and seven or ten and two. We don't give a rip. Okay. We're not Penn State fans. Like, I would be, I would think Penn, instead instead of excusing why he has a 58% win percentage when Joe Moorhead's not calling plays, Mm -hmm. I mean, if I were a Penn State fan, I'd be like, that's not good enough for me. And so, similar to this conversation with you here, Hassel and Iowa fans, it's not really my place as a non Iowa fan to wade into that debate. But I will say this as from a big picture standpoint. If you have a football team that as and among your among your core players, you have four potential top ten four potential, let's just say first round picks, I should say, four potential NFL first round picks in the in the coming and following draft. And the guy who could leave school with more touchdown passes than any quarterback in school history. Northwestern can't be winning your division. I would say that. I think that's a fair analysis. I think it is. I think it is. I I think that I really think they need to win the Big Ten West next year. I really think they need to win. You know, what's funny is I think think both guys, each of the guys on both ends of this conversation are fans of schools who really need to win their divisions this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Iowa, Iowa versus Michigan or somebody's busted. If you and I are, are unable, let's put it this way, for, for both of us, it's not going to be a good football season probably 
if we're not sitting here the first week of December and feel like you and I are, cannot have a civil conversation. Let's just put it you that know, way. You know what we should do? We know what we should do this summer proactively. We should purchase tickets to the Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis. We should just go ahead and buy them. You and me. Uh, if you want to buy a third one and Noah comes along, that's fine. Uh, let's go ahead and reserve our – let's get our tickets and let's reserve our hotel. And let's just uh, let's just plan on it. Hmm. I mean, listen, if, if, if anybody but Northwestern goes again, we can probably get our money back on the tickets. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. That's true, too. Yeah. I mean, so – yeah, so let's 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 consider. That's what, I do in the, that's what I did the first time the NCAA tournament came here three years ago. Is I bought an all session pass. I only intended to go to one of the sessions. I bought an every session pass, and I sold all the rest of them. And we, it ended up we had Kentucky, Indiana, and Kansas all here in that sub regional that year. Yeah, paid your mortgage for four years. Yeah, I, I, I got I got a nice return on my investment with that transaction. That's, you that's bet. Pretty, that's yeah. pretty good. Um, a few more here. If you want to know how good a job the Iowa coaching staff is doing to, you know, with uh, developing talent, look at UCLA. This is what you wrote. In the 2015-16 recruiting classes, which make up the bulk of draft-eligible players this year, the Bruins signed a total of 23 players ranked four or five stars, uh, according to the 247 composite. Yet tight end Caleb Wilson was the Bruins' lone 2019 draft pick and he happened to also be Mr. Irrelevant. Holy freaking cow. They had 23 players ranked four or five stars yeah. in the 15 and 16 recruiting classes combined, and the only draft pick was Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I can't even count in three-star guys who are, you know, techniques, you know, deficient, need to be developed, but come in long with speed. I'm not even counting any of those guys. I'm just looking at the guys who come in. If you're ranked a four or five, if you're a five-star guy, then the 24/7 composite is essentially saying the composite of the recruiting services believe you're a first-round draft pick. And if you come in as a fourth, as a four-star, then the composite is basically saying they believe that you are a second-day NFL draft pick, right? Yeah, right. second, second or third round. They signed 23 of those guys in those two classes, and they had one draft pick last weekend. And he was the last pick of the entire draft. What the hell was Jim Mora Jr. doing there at the end? What? And, and we're talking about a guy who's an NFL head coach right. as well. I, I mean, what was he doing there? What the hell was going on out there? So this is where, again, I just said that if you've got four first-round picks in this and the following draft, and the guy who's going to leave number one in school history and touchdown passes at quarterback on your team, Northwestern shouldn't be winning your division. I just said that, okay? But I think we also, though, you know, we got to look. I know we, we want to live in this false binary choice world. But, you know, multiple things can be true at the same time. That's true. But here's what's also true. You're still developing players at a pretty impressive clip here at the University of Iowa because that in that same time span in those two classes, I was signed one player that was that was a four or five star player in the twenty four seven composite in those two classes one, and had four guys drafted. So it's not a question. What 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 clearly has not slowed down. Going on, you know, go and and we're one year away from Kirk Ferentz. See what ninety nine the aughts, the twenty tens. 
We're one season away now from Kirk Ferentz going into a fourth decade at the University of Iowa as a head coach. Mm-hmm. So what has not slowed down is the is you know the legendary strength and conditioning program, the ability to develop guys. That train has not slowed down. the The question is, and this has probably been a long term debate and a debate that was going on when you and I were still doing terrestrial radio together. The game day management, the style of play on game day, once we develop those guys the, the, the other nine months out of the year, when we get on game day, are we making coaching decisions that puts them in the best situation to possibly be successful? And I think that's the debate if I were an, an Iowa fan. Um, but in terms of the solidness of the program, next man in, all that stuff, you know, that we first started hearing going on, what, 15, 16, 18 years ago now. Mm-hmm. When you look at these development numbers, those things are all still every bit as true as they were when Dallas Clark was, you know, going from Iowa high school nobody to catching 99-yard touchdown passes at tight end. You know, that stuff's all still true. The Robert Gallery story, all that stuff is all still going down. You know, the question now becomes, uh, you know, on game day, uh, are are the decisions being made that maximizes what you're doing with the talent you're developing the other nine months of the year? He's still worth every bit of the amount of money you've always paid him those uh, those nine months out of the year. The debate really comes down to the three months of games and game days themselves. That's where that's where I would think you guys would would uh, would debate each other and have some disagreement probably. All right, that will wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.